And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long. Bugger. And we're on air. Yeah, and it's summer holiday time. And we're in uh, Newhouse Farm Cafe, and this is Social Media White Noise with me, Nick Butler, a.k.a. Loudmouth Man, and he... And me, Dr. Pod, uh, spelled D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D, otherwise known as Andy White. Andy White. I mean, today's show... Uh, episode 89. Uh, it is 89, isn't it? I've, it I've, I've given up trying to remember we the episode. Trying to remember where we are, let alone when we're doing um, it. Yes, yeah, so we're a bit subdued today. We have the subdued feeling of, I don't know, it's it's holiday-itis, I feel. It is, holiday-itis. Or maybe, maybe it's because we're aware that uh, our Facebook presence is validating us in society. You can be suspicious by absence if you're not careful. Come on to that in a minute. How chat can overthrow a government. Nick, I'm assuming these are all current, these, these links. These are all current. These are all the ones um, I think we should talk about. about. Myths about real names. I think that's from the perspective of programmers. Uh, tweets are holding up the uh, Olympic Games. Don't put your hand by your mouth, Andy. And uh, a couple of other things. But we'll, we'll focus on the first thing. This thing about um, your own mass murder if you're not on Facebook. Well, look quite interesting. Um, because we all know that, um, um, you know, Coincidence is causation, and, and, and we can draw parallels from from a few basic events. We can draw a data set that says, therefore, this is all true, um, because uh, both in both shooting events, uh, and is Brevik, and um, the latest one over in Aurora, um, the shooters were not on Facebook and didn't use popular social networks, so therefore they were loners, and we needed to be suspicious of them right away. Bad science. So. so uh, in the event that you choose to listen to this show and uh, not be on a social network, then it is highly likely you may be a mass murderer. Of course, if you are a mass murderer, you can always join a I'm a mass murderer social network.com mm. um, uh, where you get to poke, stab, and otherwise slash at your friends or at least complete strangers who you've gotten to know over a long period of time because you've spent ages stalking them by looking at their photos and observing their activities. And actually, no, hang on, you have to belong to Facebook to do that, don't you? This is on the uh, activepolitic.com <laughs> blog. Interesting they're using port 82. Activepolitic.com um, colon 82. Anyway. I love the way it says on the on the post uh, no Facebook no job offer mm. well they're taking this from the uh, German newspaper and I can't pronounce it but Tag Tag Spiegel most probably Deutsch. yeah yes. that'll do um, and it it sort of goes into okay there's there's a certain amount of antagonism in the idea that um is social networks are very popular in America and how everybody's expected to hand over their passwords to their employers and everybody's supposed to take part and share stuff and, and so forth. In fact, this is, this is a sort of a non, non-story to which people are, are sort of holding on to. But in, I, I think in terms of, of trying to begin to rationalise the ways in which you might predict the activities of a future shooter... Um, trying to profile people on the basis of who belongs to which website is it's quite ridiculous since they spend an awful lot of time in the media telling us that oh well, the problem with belonging into Facebook is you're telling people about so much about yourself that you're making yourself a victim and easy to stalk only now they're saying that it turns out if you don't take part in Facebook and you don't promote anything at all you're making yourself a predator and we want to protect ourselves from you and we just cannot seem to decide which one we want to choose Nick if your employer said to you give me your Facebook username and password what would you say well I'd say that's fine because I am my own employer 
But I think if you meant in the situation where I yes, was actually... Yes, I meant in the situation cry, that, yes, Nicholas... <laughs> his face whilst I was doing that, I was like, oh, you sod. Hand up to forehead, shaking head. In the event that I was working uh, on behalf of another company and they came to me and said, we want your Facebook password, I would refuse. Would you ask them why? I, would, I, I certainly wouldn't ask them why. So there's, there's actually no... There's no. I mean, let's say they want to do a background check on you. Well, again, what's that got to do with having access to my password? I mean, it's, there are there are plenty of apparently good reasons provided for why you should hand over that information. And in fact, in the UK, we have a law that requires you to hand over your passwords to the police in the event they want to check encrypted information or private information. So they can actually request it of you, and if you refuse to provide it, they can hold you as part of the anti-terrorism bill, anti-terrorism act rather, um, as a result that you're, you may be a threat to the safety of UK citizens, and they'll detain you for a period of time whilst they, you know, check other means and, and, and mechanisms. It's you're not allowed to incriminate yourself, but at the same time, you're also not allowed to stop them being able to get access to it. How on earth did anybody pass that law and think that made sense? Because mm. um, it gets back to this, this routine of, well, if you have nothing to fear, you've got nothing to hide. Sorry, phone going. So, whilst Andy quickly hides his phone and switches it off. Victor airplane mode. I have to say that the, um, I don't think the story is itself a actual story, but it raises an interesting... Uh, point of view here because I know a lot of people choose not to be in Facebook for different reasons um, and yeah, my own Facebook profile is locked down so much that you cannot find me even if you're a friend of a friend mm. my Facebook photos I've just removed all but the blog ones so anything to do with the, the handwriting, blo- handwritten blogs that I do they've all been removed um, when they moved to doing this cover photo thing, which I admit is actually quite a nice, you can, you can do quite a lot of fun stuff with it. Mm. Um, I removed my own photos. I just removed everything. I deleted everything, and I know it's not deleted properly. Mm. And I'm aware that Facebook just won't delete stuff. But I've removed it from my profile. Um, I've stopped people tagging me. So what if I'm in Facebook, but choosing not to take part fully in Facebook? What sort of person does that make me? Um, and, and does it does it actually say anything about an individual that they choose to take part or not take part? What about somebody who just overshares everything and spends so much time sharing so much stuff? Are they not potentially creating just a lot, a lot of noise to give themselves an alibi to commit the perfect murder? And they can then say, oh no, but my check-in shows that I'm here and this photo shows that I'm there. I could never have been at that scene. They're hiding in clear sight. They're hiding in clear sight. Um, it's a... It's a good opening uh, conversation in a desperate point of view here to try and get a story out of nothing. And the story is, if you don't get involved, then we think you're weird. <laughs> are there any comments on this, actually? Uh, there, are, there are no comments that I can click on yeah. at the time. Uh, no, here we go. There are comments. It, it, it just goes to a weird page. Yes, with no formatting whatsoever. Politics. Yeah. Um, but as I say, in fact, Winston says, a sample size of two means nothing with seven billion people on the internet. Yes. Uh, just uh, read the comments, go through. They are they are brilliant. There is this um this this actually goes to our next article, um, and this is uh, the, the topic about real names. 
YouTube recently implemented a change of your profile to encourage you to use your real name that you've been encouraged to use on Google Plus and say, oh, use your real name in YouTube. It will encourage people to provide fairer comments and know more about the person whose views they're watching. So, you know, like myself, I'm signing, mean, you're signed up as Dr. Pod, I'm signed up as Loudmouth Man. People are familiar not on YouTube, with that. I'm, I'm the Podfather on YouTube, very embarrassingly. You're the Podfather? Yeah. Okay. Dr. Pod's been taken. Anyway. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll skip over that vague Andy, uh, Adam Curry reference and mm. moving on. <coughs> the, the fact that YouTube implemented this, <coughs> this policy profile and they let you keep your original name or move to the new name. One of the reasons given for this and one of the, one of the reasons that, that people get into when they talk about Facebook is that, oh, well, if you use your real name and if you present who you are, truthfully on the internet then it will help to moderate and it will remove bullies and it will remove people who antagonise and it will stop people leaving ridiculous comments um, I, I even heard somebody once say we should have everyone who's on the internet should be licensed and they should post only under that licence so we can track back every comment to the person who said it uh, this, this is just um, this was somebody who wrote into a local local paper okay. and was talking about problems with people commenting on websites. Right. So here we have um, a situation where they think, well, in order to answer this problem, we'll encourage everybody to use real names. And um, I, I knew this article's out here. I actually wrote about. I, I left a comment on Reddit about this, um, about the use of real names in YouTube and so forth. And I, as I point out. The world's this amazingly complex place, and we as a society uh, and, and as human beings have evolved a means and mechanism for identifying each other through names uh, and through relationships to those names uh, with context uh, so that uh, we can sort of introduce each other so we know who we are, so we know who said what, so that we know when somebody's talking about something we can reference it and say, yeah, Andy White said this. Mm. Um, and the belief is that you can simply create real names in a computing programming environment is just amazing because you start off with the assumption that names are really simple things to track and that you can, you can just know that a name is always going to have all. It's always going to be a first name and maybe some more second names and then a surname, family name. Um, oh, and of course then we have to have the fact that people will get married so the surname can change. Um, uh, we maybe need to handle the fact that people might actually change their name completely. Uh, actually, now we need we, now we need to be able to know that um, actually some people's surnames will change because they're married, not uh, not because they're changing their name, but because it designates the change of their surname. This is written from the perspective of a programmer, isn't it? And this so guy's this, a programmer. This falsehoods programmers believe about names, <laughs> yeah. which, which lists out forty, and that's by no means the complete list. But yeah, people's names fit within a certain defined amount of space. People's names do not change. People's first names and last names are by necessary different. Uh, people have a uniquely globally, a globally unique name, so there will never be another Andy White in the world. There will never be another Nick Butler in the world. That's it. You've got that one name. You've allocated it. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, of course, the names all use a standard alphabet. Um, and... and this is the trouble is that this doesn't apply and then what happens when you have corporations who want to join in these networks corporations don't have real names mm. corporations just have a logo a title yeah. sometimes just an image how does that work so the whole concept that a real name will improve communications yeah. beggars belief 
um, it, it leaves me wondering precisely what worldview these people have where they think if people were made to represent themselves by their own name uh, that they would do that and not realizing that well how would you sign you know let's put set aside people using false names to protect their identity uh, choosing to be anonymous uh, needing to be anonymous or having to be anonymous also what would happen to whistleblowers I mean, this, this would stop you having whistleblowers. This would remove the protection of whistleblowers. Um, it seems to play right back into the va- providing a value to traditional media and traditional government and traditional mechanisms of communication, which are being devalued by the way in which we're all able to talk to each other now. You didn't realise that, did you? But um, the, the system, the banks, the, the financial institutions, the, the big corporates have got around this by giving each and every one of us a legal fiction. They, they don't use our real names. Take a look at your mortgage statement. Mm-hmm. Your names are in uppercase. Mm-hmm. That's not you. That's known as a legal fiction. That's a legal entity. It's not Nick Butler. It's, it's uppercase Nick it's, Butler. It's They've the, formed a legal entity without your consent, and that's what they're referring to. And they also Same refer to you as a uh, account number, because actually we just give everything a number. Because the way yeah. to really do things uniquely is you just give everybody a number. Oh, you, yeah, like, like, like systems do online. Yeah. yeah. And so as soon as you have to, wish, well, you, going back, going back into the nineties when I was working at Lloyd's Bank Insurance Services, mm. and this was just in the days when IBM PCXTs were on the table. So tank machines, eighty eighty six machines uh, with sixteen color monitors and and SAMNA word processor. In order for us to be able to issue insurance policies. Mm. Uh, one of my jobs on a Monday morning was to go to the insurance numbers file, which was a physically, uh, it was a physical stack of paper mm. that was a fanfold A3 sheet of paper that was about four feet high, yeah. and printed on each A3 sheet were 120 numbers. And what I would have to do is I'd have to open up a book and mm. write the first number and the last number down mm. that I had just ripped out of this stack yeah. write those numbers down write in which, which sales office I'd sent them to and then send that sheet of numbers to that sales office it's like allocating IP addresses and then every insurance policy that was sold yes. would be written up in a book <clears throat> yeah. and my, my other job would be to check the inbound post because I would get I would get a sheet back mm. that had the number on it mm. and the sale so I'd then be able to track insurance. So every person who bought an insurance policy yeah. from us had a unique had a unique number provided, yeah. mm. even before we were plugging this stuff actually into our own computing systems. Mm. We just had a mechanism for tracking it. Mm. It existed back then. It's existed long before that. We we have long ago realised that in order to globally identify anything as being unique, you have to give it a number. Mm. Now IP addresses notwithstanding. Um, so, until we get into IPv6, we, so what we maybe need to do is move away from real names and just hand everybody an IPv6 address. Well, we could we could individually label every cell in our body, couldn't we? With its own unique IPv6. Anyway, well, let's you move could, on. but then it would die off. So you'd actually have to have a renewable IPv6. Hey, you'd have to have DHCP for your body. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. that was right. a really geeky gag. I'm oh, pretty sure God. a large percentage of our listeners will not get. Oh come on. Can you talk about sponsor. Let's, Let's talk about sponsor. Hey, you I'm can a talk proud about owner of an Azure Razor. Mm. I, I, I purchased the, the Azure Razor. Azure? 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 Azure. From King of Shaves, who is, is very kindly uh, paying for a 
bits of cake and, and coffee. Cake, ginger cake's fantastic. Ginger cake. Thank you very much, King of Shaves. Yes, thank you very much, King of Shaves. We salute you. So, mm. yes, I brought the um, Azure razor, and the thing that struck me about it is the cost is, like, really affordable. You know, as I was going to say in the olden days, blooming shaving stuff. Pay... 14 quid for a pack of renewable pack of, yeah for, for new so, so you, you pay about a quid for your handle and some blades and then you go back for some refills and you pay about 14 quid yeah for three refills I remember that <laughs> I remember those days um, not anymore it's just they've, they've turned it they've really shaved it down pardon the, the pun and uh, I see what you did there because <laughs> yeah. you know me I'm such a tightwad I had my calculator out and I was going well shall I get this one or shall I get that one and it is very very cost effective and it's great technology as well what do they call it the bendy technology bendology technology the uh, mechanism by which the in, instead of having the blade um, clip into the uh, head through a spring-loaded mechanism. Yeah, complexity. Um, of which you've got sort of two springs in a hole, and you've got to squeeze the end of the head. Lots of little nooks and crannies for germs to get in. What they've implemented is uh, a single form mould for the head, mm. and it sits in there with tension. So once you've once you've pushed the head of the blade into the the, the head of the handle into the blade, mm. it then uh, picks the blade up. Yeah. And it will hold it there securely until you use the. Uh, there's a little popper at the back, and you just push with your thumb. And you push with your thumb, and it just pops right out. And it, that's it. There's there's no springs. There's there's, there's no additional moving parts mm. to break at a later date. Um, and in, in terms of sticking closer to your face, because it's using the bendology, you you know you apply a bit more pressure to your face. To pull the blade over and, and cut them, cut the hairs. It's a great handle. It's a great blade. It's heavy as well, isn't it? It's, it's got a bit of weight to it. It's it's, it's nice. a fantastic design. But more yeah. than more than that, um, we're talking about King of Shaves, who are actually sponsoring James Ellington mm. at the Olympics. Yes, that will be the Olympics men. There'll be probably be another Olympics part of this show, but that'll be one hour mention of it there. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm genuinely pleased with this product, and I'm delighted that King of Shaves are sponsors of the show. Because I, I think yeah. people need to get out there and support King of Shaves because the product's bloody marvellous, as you are now finding out. We salute you, King of Shaves. Thank you so Thank you much. Very much so. Talking of the Olympics, should we talk are about we? the tweets in the Olympics? The tweets in the, the Olympics. Perfect, That's almost like a perfect segue because we don't usually do that. Yeah, I thought you were going to do a segue. The trick about a podcast is always to mention your segues. Yes. That's what you do in a podcast. A segue, yeah. yeah. It's every, not obvious. Uh, in fact, I think we should have a podcast that's all about segues. The segue podcast. The segue podcast. And, you know, it should just be. Anyway, moving on to tweets. Someone should do it. If tweets could kill. If tweets could kill. Well, it, this so, is about the blocking the airwaves, isn't it? Uh, you know what? It's, it's another one. Of, we're, we're having a, a series of non real stories. Almost, um, and and when the cyclists were touring round the Tour de Surrey, yeah, uh, the Tour de Surrey and, and parts of South East London on Box Hill, on Box Hill, and yes, so watching all the lady cyclists crash because um, it was it got a bit wet. I don't know. I don't watch it. So yeah, I saw it know, on telly. So yeah, it must be true. I, I am reliably informed that things occurred. Yeah. Um, uh, I am reliably informed that people tweeted things occurring. Uh, I observed things were being tweeted, but I mostly ignore those tweets and move on. Mm. Um, however, it turns out that so many people were tweeting from such a small venue uh, that it caused a problem for the uh, onboard computers for the bikes to send um, GPS information. Oh. And as a result, the data wasn't getting through the tubes because they were being squished by tweets. Oh. But 
BT, Vodafone and O2 haven't noticed a problem. And in fact, although it appears to be an over-demand on one particular network, everyone's trying to get to the bottom of it, um, the people who were truly affected by this were TV commentators. This didn't actually stop people racing. When I turned the cycling on on Saturday, there wasn't any commentary for about five minutes. All you saw were just the cyclists going along. I have no idea. I mean, it was exciting to going watch. Going back to my no point, commentary. I don't watch it, and, and right. you know, I can't really comment on it because I don't watch it. Well, I can comment. There was no commentary, and then the, the guy did start to say a few bits. But I wonder if that was the cause. How interesting. Which makes me think about failover for information networks. Do we have that? No. No. Is in that fact, an issue? In fa- well, here's the thing. We don't have failover. So... Um, I believe it's called Goliath, which is the backbone of BT Openreach's infrastructure for the UK. Right. When Goliath goes down, all your internet service providers go down. <coughs> all your operators go down. Goliath is the main interchange, main infrastructure for the UK. Okay. We don't have anything outside of Goliath. There is no second or third infrastructure. Not even the people's wireless net. People's Mesh Network would be a start. Yeah. You know, they, we, we need to plan, and we've had it happen twice now. Goliath has gone down, and it's, it's fallen over, and as a result, what you then get is you get clients calling you up saying, I can't get on the internet, and you say, yeah, no one can get on the internet. And they say, oh, when will it be fixed? And you go, I don't know, because the internet service providers aren't at fault. And they say, well, can you fix it for me? Go, oh, can we go to another I- Can we go to another ISP? And you have to say... You can go to any internet service provider you like, including BT. They are all down. Right. Um, and it's happened. And internet service providers go down. Don't go down that often as they used to. There used to be a time when it was a yearly occurrence. Goliaths are only backbone. If it goes over, what are we left with? David. So Let's form a people's mesh called David. We need to form the, the people's mesh of the internet, or the internet's people's mesh, or the people's we'll internet mesh stone splitters. <laughs> so, yes, the Olympics went down. Um, got speaking of taking things down, mm. the cute chat site which could save your life and help overthrow the government. Um, I, right. I, 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 this is the crypto cat. Sorry, I keep breathing into my mic. That's better. I'll sigh up that in that direction. That's better. Chunky 8-bit sensibility with big-eyed binary cat in the corner. Um, this is an encrypted web-based chat, and it's the first chat client in a browser which allows anyone to use end-to-end encryption to communicate without the problems of SSL. So we're talking about peer-to-peer. So it's not using SSL? It's not using SSL. Oh, okay. It's encrypting at the client end, and it's establishing an encryption at the client's conversational other end. Okay, so it's just pushing black boxes across an and open network. And what goes in between is garbage. Right. And what arrives between those two sites isn't. Uh... Nick, explain the technicalities. What's the difference between SSL, end-to-end encryption, and this? With SSL, Mm. you're looking at a scenario where before you start a conversation with the server, Mm. you have to start a conversation that starts in plain text. And the server says to you, I'm going to send you a special key Mm. for which I have one half. Yeah, this is the key dance, isn't it? And and then you're going to hand me back information about yourself that's Mm. encrypted with this key. Yes. And I will use my key to unencrypt it, and I will then use that information to send something back to you that's Ah. constantly encrypted. Is this more like a pre-shared key? So it's not really, not quite. But but for the the purposes of explaining it simply, the back-and-forth key dance, the thing about SSL is it can be... Uh, susceptible to a man-in-the-middle attack. Yeah. So if somebody sets up a 
um, a machine, a, a laptop, and in a Wi-Fi environment with a secured connection, and then uses ARP poisoning mm. to poison routing information, and then uses a deorfing handshake on the Wi-Fi to convince your laptop to connect through their laptop mm. and subsequently through their laptop out to the internet. Yes. Then they can offer you, if you they can offer you a certificate that appears to come from the source, but it's actually their certificate, and they're now unencrypting everything that's going on in between. Wow. So that's man in the middle. Endpoint encryption, uh, something like RetroShare is a good example. With RetroShare, which I've, I've played yeah. with, and more people need to get on board with it. Yeah. But with RetroShare, suffers from the fact that it's a peer-to-peer rather than a torrent-based sharing environment. Right. But we can come back to that. I've still with got RetroShare. RetroShare, you, I create a certificate and I send a certificate to you. Mm. You send a certificate to me, and we use our certificates that we're sharing with each other to send communication. So every bit of my communication to you is encrypted with your certificate. Yes. For you, yeah, and it's my end of my communication, and you're end of your communication, and that's what we're offering. It's public-private key encryption, and as a result, no one can sit in the middle because somebody tries to sit in the middle. What will happen is they need to pretend to be your certificate both ways. They need to basically duplicate both sets of certificates and unencrypt them, and they can't do that. They can't offer their own certificates because that mechanism is in place that says, well, if you try to sit as a man in the middle, the certificates will look different and the encryption will know to be broken. So to me, SSL is more of a kind of a on-the-fly tunnel that is created, but it has a weakness at the front end because of the man in the middle, whereas yeah. these are more kind of, you've done a bit of work beforehand, therefore you start off with an encrypted connection. The, the thing about SSL is it's very <laughs> lightweight on transport in order to deliver encryption quickly. Yeah. Okay? Because you encrypt and decrypt in one go, and once you've established the tunnel, that's it. Yeah. Whereas with um, this sort of end-to-end encryption, um, you're doing encryption and decryption as you need it, mm. and it's slower. Uh, and you need to have it for each connection. You need to have a different certificate set up, and each client has to have a different certificate set up. Um, it would be fantastic if people were able to, uh, as part of society, when they were born, they were handed an IPv6 address and a certificate for that IPv6 address. And their, their move through their life would include their ability to access that certificate and create secure certificates off of it, which they would then hand out to say, this is my interaction for P45s. Mm. This is my interaction with my employer. This is my interaction with the government. And when, I, when somebody wants to say, copy my information, they'll need access to my certificate which I can then choose. You know, we should be in this position where businesses that make thousands of pounds out of owning lists of names mm. would be forced to pay a percentage in licensing fees to each of those people on that list because it's them who provided that, that information, That's like a copyright. Mm. If you had copyright over your actual name in some format so that anybody holding your information and selling it on would be forced to pay you a fee because they're making value out of the content that's your name. Mm. Um, this chat site is, anyway, this has been created by 21-year-old college student Nadim Kobisi from Canada, Lebanon, and the internet. CryptoCat. CryptoCat. Um, and it, CryptoCat. Basically, he's combining his love of cryptography and cats as explained to an overflowing office at the Hackers of Hope conference. We're, we're, we're in, this, in this podcast, we're looking at the fact that a lot of what we talk about in social media and in politics... Um, when that edges meet up, there's an awful lot of angst from governments in terms of 
how people are chatting to each other and sharing information. And there's an awful lot of angst from civil rights groups in terms of how governments are accessing that information to track those people. Mm. And that balance between uh, open and free conversation uh, and um, concerned, concerned tracking and monitoring for the apparent well-being of the society... You know, it, it walks a knife edge between what is socially acceptable to uh, provide a, a level of legitimate safety mm. and security um, versus uh, a level of oversight and monitoring which, which might actually be considered to be a burden on the individuals. Um, things like this, where people can talk to each other, uh, provide a mechanism by which people are circumventing government communications. It'll come back to... There's an article that we didn't look into a few weeks back where the feds were saying, yeah, because of cryptography now, we can't track pedophiles. And therefore that's bad. But because of cryptography, the person who wants to avoid the uh, bully or the, um, the overarching uh, dictator uh, or the um, you know, almost sort of criminally inappropriate police force, they're also avoiding them. So we have... I think, you know... The, all technology provides an opportunity for the monsters in our society. It's a double-edged sword. And, and we, can't, we, we can't stop progress because we're worried about how the monsters will use them. Nick, we are at 29 minutes. We're at 29 minutes. I'm what should we talk about for the last minute? Stop on that what point. What have we got? Because as far as I was concerned, that, that was it. There is the conversations that we have about uh, Alex Day breaking all the rules and record labels only protecting themselves, but I think we'll hold that over. Yep. Which is a good thing. I think what I'd like to invite people to do, as ever, is to leave a quote, leave a comment. Um, I'd also like to say thank you to those who took part in the Evernote competition last podcast. Um, I'd also invite, I'm going to look up your name here, because you left a comment. You didn't make it on time. Um, You did leave a comment here. Victor Toal. And you left a comment, but a little bit too late. Victor, please get in contact with me, uh, nick at loudmouthman.com, with an email address, and I'll send you a three-month premium subscription to Evernote. And Fantastic. listening to the next show, because we'll be giving away another premium subscription to Evernote, and that will be in the next show. Well done. This will be and, episode 90. Um, I forgot what I was going to say now, Nick. I probably, it was probably just something like goodbye. Because we're heading up. Once we hit to 90, that's it. We'll be nine more shows away... From the 100th show. Are we going to do anything special? I think we're going to do, you know, it's going to be something interesting. Yeah. Something marvellous. Yes, maybe from the International Space Station or something like that. Or, you know, possibly the big Ferris wheel at Brighton again. I don't know. But, yeah, OK. <laughs> All right, well, I've been Andy White, Aka Dr. Pod, and he's been... Nick Butler, a.k.a. Loudmouth Man, and this has been Social Media White Noise. Please head to socialmediawhitenoise.com, visit that donate button, drop the donations, because it pays for the coffees, the cakes, the conversations, and most of all, we'd like to thank you for your ear time. Goodbye. And find us on iTunes and give us a comment or a rating and or a rating. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Social Media White Noise, brought to you by Andy White, Aka Dr. Pod, and Nick Butler, Aka Loudmouth Man. Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the webpage, and subscribe for free. Email us at ulot at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Follow us on Twitter, Dr. Pod and Loudmouthman. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex, social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon. Peace.